0: You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. The Minnesota Department of Transportation just publicized the winners of the name of snowplow contest. <laughs> One newly named snowplow will be assigned to each of the Minnesota's uh, transportation districts, and so the winning snowplow names are Betty Whiteout, <laughs> the Big Laplowski. Plowosaurus Rex, Scoop Dog, (laughs) Blizzard of Oz, No More Mr. Ice Guy, and Edward Blizzard Hands. (laughs) I guess if you're suffering through a long Minnesota winter where, you know, it can be 18 hours of darkness, you've got to think up ways to keep your sense of humor, huh? Well, just north of Minnesota is the even longer-wintered Canada, and a recent article uh, caught my attention. Uh, the title was this, Canadian motorist find $118 for singing while driving. I thought I need to read that one. It was about Tafiq uh, Moala who turned on his radio and he heard c c Music Factory's 1990 hit, Gonna Make You Sweat. Maybe you know it more by by its lyrics. Everybody dance now. (laughs) That's me dancing right there, you know, real subtle. So like any red-blooded Canadian, uh, Tafiq Mollah turned it up and and started dancing. And a passing uh, police car saw his behavior, thought he was strange, and so they pulled him over. And uh, he explained to him that, that he was just singing and dancing to everybody dance now. <laughs> and I won't do that again, okay? <laughs> that, that's, that, that's enough of that. But they still gave him a $118 ticket. And you can ask, well, why? My only explanation is it's Canada, that, you know, right there. I, I have Canadian friends, maybe you do too, and they are the nicest people in my opinion, Canadians are the koala bears of the human race. <laughs> They're cute, you want to give them a hug, but you can't really explain them at all, you know? Uh, my, my guess, my best guess, is a lack of vitamin D from the sun, you know, the long Canadian winter. But I have to agree with Tafiq Moala on this one. You have to be dead not to begin to groove and move to everybody dance now. But what drives human beings to name snowplows? or to dance so vigorously while driving that they get a ticket. I contend, my theory is, we want to be alive, that we're wired for joy, that we have a deep inner need for transcendence. An interesting fact that many people don't know is that Maslow, toward the end of his life, came to the conclusion that in the hierarchy of needs, the highest need that we have is not for self-actualization, but for transcendence. Lately, Colleen and I watched the three-part Netflix nature show, The Island of the Sea Wolves. I highly recommend it. It was a transcendent, it was this cool experience, as we saw the beauty of one example, the annual salmon run, where millions of salmon come to spawn, but also they feed the seals and the otters and the eagles and the bears and the wolves. Life on this planet, when you begin to really contemplate and pay attention, it's transcendent, it's amazing. It's awe-inspiring. The Bible says that the earth is filled with the glory of God. So for the amateur ornithologists in the group, uh, I have a treat for you. Two pictures of extraordinary birds. The first one is the royal flycatcher right there. Isn't that incredible? I think the, the Romans, you know, the centurions had helmets like that, and I think they probably got it from the birds there. Isn't that amazing? God's limitless creativity the next one is a hummingbird isn't that beautiful magnificent and they they uh, migrate from breckenridge and up in the the mountains here clear down to, to guatemala which makes a lot of sense i could see doing that myself sometimes when it's we when get so much snow like this year these are only two of eleven thousand bird species that are in the world Isn't that amazing, isn't that beautiful? The earth is filled with the glory of God. I believe when we quiet our hearts and think deeply, we come to the realization that we as human beings are made for significance. We are made for meaning and purpose and mission. We are made for more. We are made for transcendence. And that's the story of today's scripture in Luke. Uh, chapter 19 verses 28 through 40 is the story of transcendence. The Bible makes it clear that worship was designed by the Lord to be a transcendent, to be a holy, to be a spiritual experience. When we truly connect with the eternal creator, king of the universe, blessed be his name, our minds and our hearts and our souls begin to be touched by his holiness by his supernatural presence, his transcendence. Two Sundays ago when Pastor Jim shared the story and the picture of that little baby who was saved from abortion, it was a transcendent moment, it was a sacred moment. And that is what the crowd in Luke chapter 19 that were surrounding Jesus were experiencing. The scripture tells us there that was read this morning that they had either seen or heard about the miracles that Jesus had performed. As Jews, they've been patiently waiting for centuries for the Messiah who would save them from their enemies, and now here was the Messiah in front of them, so their natural response was worship. And as we'll see in this scripture, in their worship, they got something right, and they got something wrong, and we can learn and become better people from their experience. The setting is Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week of his crucifixion, and his resurrection on what we call Palm Sunday. And he's riding the colt of a donkey in fulfillment of Jewish prophecy about the Messiah. Zechariah 9.9, written over 500 years before Christ, predicted of the Messiah, and I quote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble and rides on a donkey. He comes on a colt the foal of a donkey. So what they got right, we see in verse 37 of Luke 19. As Jesus was coming close to Jerusalem on the way to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of followers began joyfully shouting praise to God for all the miracles they had seen. Uh, God bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There is peace in heaven and glory to God. So what they got right was their enthusiastic, wholehearted worship of Jesus as the Messiah. From Scripture, the Jews knew that the appropriate response to the coming of the Messiah was joyous, wholehearted worship. In Psalm 118, 26 and 27, which is what they were quoting on uh, Palm Sunday, it says this, "...God bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord," meaning the Messiah, the Lord is God, and He has shown kindness to us with branches in our hands, join the feast. The Jews had put their hope in the coming Messiah coming from Almighty God, and they knew that through the Messiah that He would bring life and He'd bring victory and He would bring hope and He'd bring freedom. Therefore, they expressed their faith in keeping with Psalm 118, and they were declaring with joy, with palm branches in their hands, their worship of God and his Messiah. Enthusiasm has a mixed reaction uh, with many people today. They equate sometimes enthusiasm with mindless, foolish passion or emotionalism, which ebbs and flows therefore being unreliable. But literally, the word enthusiasm means to be filled with God. To be filled with God is to have his life and his strength and and his energy and his love and his uh, wisdom alive and active in our soul. The first uh, Christians after Pentecost turned the, the Roman and the Greek worlds upside down because they were enthused. They were filled with God's Holy Spirit, which opened the door for God's transcendent presence among them, which attracted spiritually hungry people like moths to a flame. Worship is a gift that God has given us, both as the appropriate response to his holy presence and also as a means that we can satiate our God-given need for transcendence. Recently, Pastor Jack Hayford, who was a mentor of mine, passed away. And Pastor Jack taught us that worship between Jesus and his bride, the church, is spiritually to be like a husband and wife who, in the loving covenant of marriage, are intimate with one another. In other words, worship is designed by God for Christ's bride, the church, us, to have the delight of spiritual intimacy with God the Father, the Son. And the Holy Spirit, which results in spiritual life being conceived inside of us. One of the most painful experiences in life is a loveless marriage. When I kiss Colleen, I'm looking for a sparkle in her eye. You know, I don't want to kiss her and hear that was meh. You know, that isn't what I'm looking for. Uh, The Bible instructs us as Jesus followers to love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Romans twelve twelve says, be joyful because you have hope. You see, worship is an opportunity to draw near to God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like the crowd who joyfully shouted praise to God because of the miracles they'd seen Jesus perform. You see, Jesus doesn't want a loveless spiritual marriage with his bride, the church. Jesus yearns to be spiritually intimate with us so that his life is impregnated into us, resulting in countless spiritual blessings like a baby is an incomparable blessing to a family. And so the crowd's enthusiastic worship of Jesus was right on the money. I remember when I was in Israel and it was at night and they had the lights on at the western wall and and that whole plaza was filled with people who were joyously, uh, enthusiastically worshipping God and it had such an impact on me as I saw them sing and dance and laugh with all their heart, soul, mind and strength because of the goodness of God. It was beautiful, it was life-giving, it was contagious. Enthusiasm, as we well know, is conveyed or shown according to our culture or our personality. An introvert and an extrovert don't express enthusiasm the same way. Or a Brazilian, like my son-in-law, and a Scandinavian, they usually express their enthusiasm uh, (laughs) antithetically from one another. It isn't important that your zeal, that your passion or enthusiasm for Christ looks like other people What matters is the condition of your heart. What is happening inside of you? What matters is that God wants your heart to burn with love and with gratitude and with reverence for Christ. Remember in Revelation, the rebuke that Jesus had for the Laodicean church. What was his rebuke? You were lukewarm. He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. And he'd prefer hot on that. But lukewarm is his least favorite. You see, Jesus doesn't want a loveless spiritual marriage with his bride, the church. Meh, nah, isn't what Jesus is looking for in our reaction to being in his presence. Romans twelve eleven tells us, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so one of the questions for us in meditating upon this scripture, is, is the Holy Spirit on fire inside of me? Is my love for God burning heart? Am I tending to that fire of love for God, loving him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? This summer, Colleen and I celebrate 40 years of, of marriage together. And so she deserves a trophy for that, participation trophy. I, yeah, thank you. Thank uh, you. I think, honey, wasn't this picture taken in 2020? Is that when that was taken? You guys are mean. You're really. Uh, We graduated from Seattle Pacific University, and then a week later, uh, you can move to the next picture. I don't want to see that anymore. Yeah, I miss my hair. My hair was soft and thick, and I miss it, man. I just miss it. And a week after we graduated, uh, our fathers, both of them together, uh, married us at Seattle First Free Methodist Church. And I can say 40 years later, I'm, I'm crazy about Colleen. And Colleen agrees, I'm crazy. <laughs> Someday I want to be that old guy chasing Colleen with my walker, you know, <laughs> like this. And I, I want my grandkids to go, you know, we just love Papa's enthusiasm, you know, and, and I want my grandkids to see that a lifelong marriage isn't something to endure, but something to celebrate. Amen. And that you can keep love alive, even as it changes over the decades and deepens, in my opinion. And I want my grandkids to see in my life that Papa wasn't perfect, but Papa loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Papa was on fire for Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ died on the cross for Papa. Amen. I want them to see that. And that's what the crowd was showing. The thing that we need to understand is that God is enthusiastic about you. I believe that with all my heart. You say, well, prove it from Scripture. Look to the cross. For God so loved you and me that He sent His only Son to die on our behalf. That's passion. That's zeal. That's enthusiasm. One of my absolute favorite promises from God's word is Zephaniah 317 that says this, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So what's my point? My point is that God is crazy in love with you. Will you be crazy in love with God? Will you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will you not be ashamed of the gospel? Because that's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. That's what the crowd got right. But what did the crowd get wrong? The crowds expected Jesus as Messiah to be a king with military and political power. They expected Jesus as Messiah to solve all their practical problems immediately. They expected Jesus by God's power to immediately kick out the Romans and to restore political, economic, and military independence and prosperity for Israel. In plain terms, what they got wrong was assuming that Jesus came to do their will and their will in their timing. But Jesus, God the Father, had a bigger plan than just what would happen with the Romans then. Jesus was looking down through the ages and around the globe 2,000 years later to see each one of us and to see the 2.4 billion people that follow Christ around the globe now. And he came to establish a spiritual kingdom by transforming our hearts and our minds so that we then would influence by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus the world toward righteousness and justice and freedom and life. And that we'd be part of fighting the darkness of the evil of Satan's kingdom and uh, that destroys people. You see, Jesus came to establish uh, God's now but not yet kingdom. God's kingdom is in us now, and it's between us as Jesus' followers. But Satan's kingdom is still alive and well until Jesus returns to put a final end to sin and death and injustice and poverty and sickness and suffering and the curse. What a day of rejoicing that will be. So time and again, we see in the scripture, the the core spiritual issue in life is my will or God's will be done. When I was a young man, being a, a pastor in several ways was a sacrifice of obedience. Here's one example of how for me it was a sacrifice of obedience. Growing up, I loved cars. When I was 16, I bought my first car And when I became a pastor in my early 20s, it was obvious that economically my dream of owning cool cars was unattainable. In seminary, what I drove is I drove a 1984 Chevy Chevette that our friends Harry and Dee gave me. Yeah, yeah. The Chevette is one of the uncoolest cars ever, huh? (laughs) One one time driving my vet, I... uh, Literally, the axle broke. The wheel fell off, not just tire. The wheel fell off, and it was a divot in the, in the asphalt, something that never happened to James Bond in his Austin Martin DB5, I guarantee you. Then when we moved to Lakewood in 1995, I drove a 1986 Honda Civic with 140,000 miles on it that the church owned. I coached my son Dan in youth football, and I remember one time driving up in my beige Honda Civic beige, you can't get more uncool than that, and uh, I parked in the parking lot, you know, going to the game, between uh, a brand new Suburban and a Forerunner that two of the moms on the team uh, drove, and uh, I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed that humble pie isn't very appetizing, is it, huh? Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. My translation says, if anyone wants to come after me, they need to deny themselves the Tundra and take up their Honda Civic and follow me. But thankfully, and I mean this sincerely, thankfully the humble king on the little donkey was willing to knock me off my high horse. In my case, my Mustang. (laughs) And I'm so glad he did. And eventually, I matured enough, believe it or not, Yeah, that actually came out. That, yeah, yeah. You actually. Everybody else was thinking it, but you said it, Susan. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Boy, I was I was moving into this moving time in my message, and now. I like your piano playing. What I came to realize when I got more mature (laughs) was that it's it's so much cooler to see Jesus change people's lives than it is to drive any car on the planet. It really is. Cars are just a thing. You know what I mean, Pastor Paul. You've seen it. So the healthy response to Jesus' kingly transcendent presence is humble consecration. Verses 39 and 40, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell your followers not to say these things. But Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, if my followers didn't say these things, then the stones would cry out. Jesus, as God's eternal son, could make stones talk if you wanted to. Nothing's impossible with God. But he was using a metaphor here. Like when we say, when we say we're frustrated, we may say it makes my head explode. We don't mean it literally. We mean it figuratively. What Jesus is saying is humans are designed by God to worship. People cannot not worship. You will worship something. We all do. And so just as it is unnatural for rocks to speak, it would be unnatural for his followers not to worship God for his love and his goodness. So humble consecration is Jesus just a few days after coming into Jerusalem here in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, I don't want to go to the cross. If this cup of suffering could be taken away, please take it away. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There's the issue right there. The crowd was wrong to think that Jesus came to do their will and their timing. Due to this misconception, in five short days, the same crowd who's saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is going to go crucify him. You see, when selfish motivations aren't moti- are not, are. Uh, mortified or killed, they tempt a person to betray Jesus. Soren Kierkegaard understood this core spiritual issue when he wrote, if you have any knowledge at all of human nature, you know that those who only admire the truth will, when danger appears, become traitors. The admirer is infatuated with a false sense of greatness, but if there is any inconvenience or trouble, he pulls back. Jesus never asked for admirers. He consistently spoke of followers and disciples. So, what kind of king comes in on a little donkey rather than a magnificent stallion or being pulled by an exquisite chariot? A humble king. Philippians chapter 2 describes Jesus, says, Christ Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider Equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. God's life-giving plan is in us following Jesus, we become more like Jesus, which means we become more humble and obedient servants of God doing God's will, not our will. In other words, only the humble experience God's transcendence. A mistake the crowd made in the next five days was to see Jesus' humility as weakness and his meekness as impotence. They assumed that since Jesus wasn't bringing an army to fight and conquer Rome, he wasn't of any practical use to them, so crucify him, be away with him. Ralph Waldo Emerson insightfully wrote, What we worship, we become. When we worship a humble king, we become humble. And when we're humble, we receive God's mighty grace. For the word of God tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives his help, he gives his power, he gives his grace to the humble. Late in his life, a disillusioned Charles Darwin wrote in his journal, I have become a withered leaf he was spiritually empty conversely late in his life pastor jonathan edwards who is the maternal grandfather of the third president of the united states aaron burr wrote this i resolved to cast my soul on the lord jesus christ it brought inexpressible brightness to my soul it made my soul like a garden when we exalt ourselves over God, our soul becomes a withered leaf. But when we humble ourselves and worship Jesus as Savior and Lord, our soul becomes a beautiful garden. Our hardwired spiritual need for transcendence is met and we spiritually flourish. New York City has the, the largest Population of Ukrainians in the United States. Over 150,000 Ukrainians are in New York City. Recently, when Putin threatened nuclear war in the Ukraine, Ukrainian Christians in, in New York City got together for prayer and worship. A worship leader was quoted as saying, Our hope is in the Lord, the one who holds everything together. He told the congregation that, quote, even if a nuclear attack happens, the hope we have is we go home and we'll be together with Jesus, the one we know will help us. Friends, that is humble consecration. That is worship in spirit and in truth. That is the humility that opens the door to experience God's transcendent, holy, incomparable presence. That is a soul choosing to bow before Jesus as Lord. I encourage you this Wednesday, it's the beginning of the 40 days of Lent on Ash Wednesday, to say here's 40 days to humbly consecrate myself and to do spring cleaning of the soul and to come back to my first love and to seek Jesus, to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Philippians 2, I read the first part of it. They talked about Jesus emptying himself and becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. Now here's the second part of it. Therefore, because of Jesus' humble consecration, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And right there friends is the power behind the sacraments to humble ourselves and in worship of Jesus Christ as the name above all names as our savior and lord as the alpha and the omega As the creator of heaven and earth, as the lion of Judah and the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we bow and we give reverence and we give glory and we give praise to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And through that, Jesus feeds our souls with spiritual food that this world cannot give.